turn our Bibles, please, to John chapter 1. Say it's a great joy to be with you again tonight. Great privilege to preach the word at Village Chapel Baptist Church, and we're praying for you in New Boston. And uh, I'm very thankful for our sister churches. In John chapter 1, beginning at verse 29, um, I noticed for the first time, I think, that you have a clock up here. Uh, you may have noticed before that I've never noticed that before. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, it is. Uh, so it reminds me of, well, it reminds me of a clock I looked at in my, our basement. It's 10 minutes to 5 at this time, but the clock said 10 minutes to 6, and my heart skipped a beat. I remembered I got to be at Village Chapel, and then I remembered, wait, we haven't changed that clock yet. And <laughs> so it's good to be here on time, and uh, praise the Lord for uh, this opportunity. All right, uh, John chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 34 tonight. It says, The next day John, that's John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, Therefore am I come, baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record, that this is the Son of God. Let's ask God to bless our time in the Word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, which is revealed to us in your Word. Thank you that he is mighty to save. And Lord, we thank you for the testimony of your shepherding care over us as we have shared those blessings tonight. Thank you also for the gospel that has come to some lives and those men that Rich mentioned, we do pray, Lord, for their salvation, for these seeds to be continually watered and that you would give an increase, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are powerful to save. We pray, Lord, that we might see again uh, the amazing truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God that believing we might have life through his name. Uh, we pray these things in that precious name. Amen. Perhaps you've heard the uh, proverb, you cannot see the forest for the trees. Anybody ever criticize you that way? I've been uh, hit with that one from time to time. kind of means that you can't see the big picture. You can't see what's really important because you're zeroing in on Minutia, that's less important, and that's uh, captured all of your attention. Uh, that phrase, you cannot see the forest for the trees, was first used in a collection of proverbs, it turns out, uh, that was compiled by an English playwright named John Haywood in 1546. So that phrase has been around for a while. Uh, it's got some longevity and some currency, some wisdom. In the 17th century, the proverb was used as a criticism of the Roman Catholic Church 
actually the Pope in particular, during the reign of Charles II of England. And some under Charles' reign felt that their Anglican sovereign uh, desired to be too much like his Roman Catholic cousin, Louis XIV of France at the time. And so in defense of English liberty, some pamphlets appeared that opposed what they called, quote, popery and arbitrary government, end quote. And it was said in those days that the Church of Rome could not see the forest of transcendent spiritual truth for the trees, which was their focus on obtaining civil power and earthly, earthly dominion. Now, when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ, the Apostle John wants the readers of his gospel to see the forest and not just the trees, to understand the life of the man, Jesus Christ. You need to see um, transcendent truth. I was privileged to attend the American Council of Christian Churches annual convention in Kittery, Maine, a couple of weeks ago. And I was assigned a task of doing a workshop on the Jesus people. Any of you ever hear of the Jesus movement or the Jesus people of the 1970s? Well, uh, I got to do a workshop on them. They're basically, it's basically a Christian hippie movement in the 1970s. And the Jesus people focused on many of the details of what they believed uh, were a part of Jesus's earthly life. It's interesting, in all my study of the Jesus people, I never came across the word Christ. I never heard about Jesus Christ, only Jesus. And it turns out that <clears throat> Jesus had no place of his own to lay his head, so the Jesus people said that if you want to join us, you've got to live in communes. And Jesus seemed to have retired from his job as a carpenter, so the Jesus people said, you've got to quit your job and leave behind all the trappings of materialistic capitalism if you want to join us. They went barefoot, grew long hair, and wore long beards because they believed that Jesus looked like that. I don't think he did, by the way. And again, from my study, I never heard the term Christ. And by way of contrast purpose of John's gospel is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing that we might have life in his name. John is very explicit about that in chapter 20, verse 31, and that's why he writes even our passage that we're looking at here tonight. And so in other words, the purpose of John's gospel is to bring the forest into prominence in our understanding of the life of Jesus. He wants us to know the transcendent meaning of this unique man's life. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have life in his name, his full name. There's nothing left out. In our passage, the Apostle John again tells us why we must conclude that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he uses John the Baptist to do so. Uh, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. According to this passage, because John the Baptist saw the Holy Spirit descend on him. Because of what John the Baptist saw, we have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We've already seen how the Apostle works, uh, uses the witness of the Baptist in this regard. I think we dealt with that last time I was here. 
But in our passage, <clears throat> he does so again by noticing three ways in which John the Baptist saw the forest rather than just the trees when it came to Jesus. You notice that as we read? He's talking about things that John the Baptist saw. In verse 29, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus. And he says, Behold, he wants other people to see what he's saying. We go down to verse 32. It's repeated, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit. Again, John is seeing something that we all need to see when it comes to Christ. And finally, verse 34, I saw, uh, John says, and bear record. And so John can see the forest, the Christ forest, not just the trees. And I want us to see these three things with John the Baptist that the Apostle John uh, emphasizes. He is the Christ, the Son of God. So number one, John saw that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Verses 29 through 31. Let's read those again. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am come baptizing with water. So John sees that Jesus is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Some of you might have firsthand experience with sheep and lambs. You know, we're called sheep. And uh, to be a good pastor, you need to know a thing or two about sheep. But unfortunately, I've never raised sheep or any livestock animals like some of you have. And so when I uh, need to learn about sheep, I go to the Internet. And I found a website called SavvyFarmLife.com. And it told me that I need to know basically two things about sheep. Number one, sheep are social animals. They belong in a flock. You don't want a sheep out by himself somewhere. And you can see how that applies to our lives as Christians. It's kind of like you know, what the Lord said about Adam. It's not good for a man to be alone. Well, it's not good for a sheep. It's not good for a believer to be alone. We belong in God's flock, which he has purchased with his own blood. But then secondly, the website said that sheep, the second thing you need to know about sheep, number one, they're social animals, but number two, they're animals of prey. So there's a lot of predators that really like the taste of sheep, it turns out. And sheep... Uh, are one of the more defenseless animals on the planet this way. They're good at suspecting danger and flocking together, but they cannot do much on their own to defend themselves. And the most defenseless kind of sheep, of course, is a young sheep, a lamb. And this is what John the Baptist says he sees. Behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. John calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our text begins with a chronological marker there. You'll notice in verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus this way. Uh, commentators agree on the chronology here that uh, this actually occurred lo 
long after the baptism of Christ, uh, at least a couple months anyway. Um, the Synoptic Gospels tell us about the baptism of Christ. Uh, John doesn't mention the baptism here because he's dealing with a later period. But you'll remember that uh, the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ at his baptism. There was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the synoptics tell us that the Spirit, having come upon Christ, drove him out into the wilderness. He was there for 40 days, confronting, well, he was fasting for 40 days, preparing for that confrontation with the enemy, Satan himself. And he won a colossal victory in battle with this murderer of souls, this liar, this father of lies. So it is after that colossal victory over his enemy that John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. He sees him coming on the next day. Jesus was not by nature a defenseless lamb. He was without defense as the Lamb of God by virtue of God's will, by virtue of his Father's will. Israelites brought their own lambs as a sacrifice. This is the lamb that God brought as a sacrifice, the one that he provided. And Jesus is the lamb of God in this sense. You may remember that Abraham was asked by the Lord to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Genesis 22, verse 8, Isaac is wondering where the lamb is. And what did Abraham tell Isaac? God will provide himself a lamb. And sure enough, they got up on top of the mountain, and God stayed the hand of Abraham before Isaac was slain. And there was a substitute caught in the thicket, right? The lamb that God had provided, caught in the thicket, captured be the substitute defenseless for the knife of Abraham. And so, in the same sense, Jesus is the Lamb of God caught in the thicket of the will of the Father to be our substitute on Calvary's cross, taking our place and dying for our sins. Prophet Isaiah spoke of this Lamb of God. I think Isaiah was probably one of John the Baptist's favorite books. Uh, he would find himself there, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And uh, I think he probably got his imagery of the Lamb, of the, Messi the Messiah as a Lamb from Isaiah chapter 53. Remember verses 6 and 7 say this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. How often have we opened our mouth when we were oppressed and afflicted, right? He opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb, it says, to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth the defenseless lamb of God caught in the thicket of God's will that he be our sacrifice and he was willingly caught there wasn't he <laughs> think of that wonderful 
him, alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Did he devote that sacred head for such a one as I? One of the verses says, Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in? In Christ, the mighty maker, man the creature sinned. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he came the Lamb of God. And in Acts 8, an Ethiopian traveling back home from Pentecost was reading that passage in Isaiah in his precious Isaiah scroll. He must have been a rich man to be able to have an Isaiah scroll. But there he was reading it in his chariot. The Lord brought the evangelist Philip to him, kind of like he brought Rick over to the guy selling a car. And the Ethiopian asked Philip a question, of whom does the prophet speak when he writes of this lamb? Philip knew the answer. The Bible tells us he opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So he shared the news that Jesus is the Lamb of God. The Ethiopian finally saw the forest clearly. He believed that his sins were taken away by Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And he received life in his name. Ask you tonight, has that happened to you? God's prophets, Isaiah and John the Baptist, are telling us this evening, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And those categories, us all and the world, include you and me. seen that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Do you believe? Do you want to be baptized because of what you see, the way the Ethiopian wanted to be baptized because of what he saw? If you do believe, the Apostle Peter reminds us that those who have had their sins taken away by this Lamb of God should be people who live for God in holiness and worship him in fear. 1 Peter 1, 16-19 speaks of our responsibility if we believe in this Lamb. It says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Notice he's talking about family businesses there. <laughs> silver and gold received from tradition uh, from your fathers. You weren't redeemed by that. You were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without Sojourn in fear, reverence, and respect for what it took to save you. It is impossible to live an unholy life, irreverently skipping worship, to earn more silver and gold without also failing to see the forest for the trees, without failing to see that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. His blood was precious and was spilt 
Redeemer. He is worthy of our Holy Spirit. The Lamb of God appears also in the book of Revelation. We spoke about that book here recently. I would tell Mom that Revelation is all about the Lamb. Yeah, everybody gets destroyed. But the one who destroys everybody is this little lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In fact, the word that John uses in Revelation is a word that communicates even greater defenselessness than the word we have in our passage here in the gospel. It actually means little lamb. I guess you can distinguish between little lambs and lambs somehow. I don't know if that works for farmers. But uh, the Greeks had two different words, one for lambs and another for little lambs. It's just a little lamb. You remember in chapter 5 of Revelation that John is weeping because no one is worthy to open the scroll, which is the title deed to the universe. And the elder tells John to stop weeping. And there is one who is worthy. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He can open the scroll. And he breaks the seven seals and the judgments fall. But when John turns around and he looks to the lion, he sees the lamb. Chapter 13, verse 8, calls him the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. His plan to save us with the lamb of God is an eternal plan. John mentions its eternal significance in verse 30, doesn't he? The Baptist says, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. This is a preexistent word from chapter 1. He is the Lamb. So can we see by faith Christ for us this morning? Do we believe what John the Baptist believed, that Jesus Christ, or Jesus is the Christ, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world? Look at the second thing that John could see here. Number two, John saw that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 32 and 33, and John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So John saw that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He could see the Christ for us, not just through us. Occasionally, we'll get a text from our kids with uh, pictures of our grandkids. And uh, I look at those texts differently than I look at any of my other texts. <laughs> I'll hold them there, and I'll gaze at them for a while. right? And I'll notice the 16 different ways that that kid is cute. And I might mention them to my wife, and we'll discuss about the cuteness and uh, how thoroughly cute these kids are. Um, we don't just glance at them and hit the delete button. We save them so we can enjoy them later. And really, 
meditating on what we see. Well, when John the Baptist bears record with the words, I have seen, in verse 32, that's uh, in our King James it says, I saw the Spirit. It's actually the perfect tense there. We could translate, I have seen the Spirit. Uh, he uses a verbal form, the perfect tense, that one commentator said reflects a settled conviction. Another said this about John's vision in this passage. The word means gazed on with calm, steady, thoughtful gaze as fully measuring what was presented to my eyes. John was amazed by what he had seen and it changed his life. He says, I have seen. The results of what I saw back then are still with me today. And I have not been able to get over it. And what he had seen was the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus Christ like a dove and remaining upon him. Verse 32. John was baptizing in water, but this one would baptize with the Holy Spirit, according to verse 33. We know he did that at Pentecost. We won't take the time to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and 11, 15 through 17. But it's very clear that John is referring to Pentecost here. Heretofore, the Spirit had come upon prophets, enabling them to speak the word of God from time to time. Uh, one commentator cited 2 Kings 3.15, where Elisha asked somebody to sing. And when uh, somebody sang, the word of God was able to come upon Elisha. He was able to speak God's words to needy people. But when it comes to Jesus, we read that the Holy Spirit descended upon him and abode upon him, remained upon him, never left any of it. And he did so because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John could see this. He got to see Jesus. He not only spoke the word of God, he was the word of God. The Spirit abode on Christ, says Westcott, that from henceforth that which was imminent in the word, his glory was continuously manifested to believers. Every time somebody looked at him, every time somebody heard him speak, they were exposed to the word of God. Peter speaks of this glory as he gives the gospel to the household of Cornelius. Just like Philip shared the Lamb of God with the Ethiopian eunuch, Peter shares this good news with the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Turn with me there. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Read down to verse 43. And this, of course, is the one of the first Gentile, both of these instances are Gentile uh, people coming to the Lord, the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius. Acts 10.34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, 
how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead and commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So Peter speaks of this glory of the Holy Spirit's work through Jesus Christ. And as Peter referred to all the prophets who gave testimony that this would happen, I imagine he was also thinking of some passages in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 says this about the Messiah. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus never lacks the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 42 verse 1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And no wonder Peter speaking of Christ in the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. God said it would happen. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, was quoted by the Lord himself as he sat in that hometown synagogue. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you believe the prophets about your need? For this one upon whom the Holy Spirit descended in glory. As he gazed upon what John the Baptist gazed upon, that life-changing image. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, because the Holy Spirit descended upon him from the dead. We need to see the Christ face, not just the trees. And finally, John saw that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 34 says, And I saw a different word here, one that emphasizes understanding, comprehension. And I saw in their record that this is the Son of God last truth about the Christ voice. He is the Son of God. The voice from heaven that John heard at the baptism, of course, uh, announced, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And it did so in fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalm 2. Verse 7 said this, I will declare the decree of the Lord. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the nations for thine inheritance, 
and the uttermost parts of the earth to thy possession. Well, today, those very nations that that psalm speaks of rise up in rebellion against the Son of God. Imagining vainly that they can dethrone their sovereign Lord psalm recognizes that sad truth because it was happening when the psalm was written and it ends with sage advice for such rebels it says this be wise now therefore O ye kings be instructed ye judges of the earth serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little blessed are all those that put their trust in him. It's verses 10 through 12. That's sage advice for the kings of the earth. That's sage advice for you and me, isn't it? We can be like those kings of the earth who want to dethrone the true sovereign of our lives, the true God of, of our hearts. one of those kings of the earth have you dethroned the God of heaven preferring rather to be your own king than your own judge John the Baptist knew what that was like he saw on the record this is the son of God and so he followed the advice of Psalm 2 he was wise he was instructed he served with fear he rejoiced with trembling he kissed the son and he trusted in him and john could see that jesus is the son of god how well could he see and we see the forest not just the trees when it comes to jesus we see what john the baptist saw you know, a couple times in our passage, John tells us that there was a time in his life when he didn't see this man. Did you notice that? In verse 31, it says, and I knew him not. <clears throat> That's actually a verbal form. It's called a pluperfect that refers to this time in the past that continued for a while but ended at some point in the past. But this wasn't just an event. This was a condition that John found himself in for some time. I knew him not, and he repeats it in verse 33, and I knew him not. All his life he had been blind to the forest, picking up only a few scattered trees of truth about the coming one. He knew God had sent him out to prepare the way of the coming one. <laughs> he probably knew that Jesus was his cousin. He'd never put those two things together. Until that day that Jesus came for his baptism and he saw the spirit descend. You know, perhaps there, that is where you have been for some time now. You haven't seen the Lord Jesus this way. Oh, you kind of figured he had a long beard and long hair and walked around barefoot lived in a commune and quit his job and stuff like that. 
seeing that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one upon whom the Holy Spirit descended and stayed. And he is the Son of God himself. Martin Luther commented on this passage, especially the truth that Jesus is who he is. He did with our sins what he did uh, this way. And I'll just close with this. Luther said, sin has but two places where it may be. Either it may be with you so that it lies upon your neck or upon Christ, the Lamb of God. If it now lies upon your neck, you are lost. If, however, it lies upon Christ, you are free and will be saved. Take now whichever you prefer. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we know that it was your mighty grace which opened the eyes of John the Baptist to see what he saw in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we can see it too because of what John has relayed to us. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, for your grace which has opened our eyes. Pray, Father, that if there be any here tonight who has not seen the Christ for us, he is the Lamb of God and one anointed by the Holy Spirit, the very Son of God, is going to be worshipped by all the nations as his inheritance someday. We pray that tonight this this one especially would come to know him as he truly is. We pray this.